0: tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it
1: Sunday with Mac.
0: i making all the way from Mennonville, top end of uh, Annamaland.
1: Oh, I, Eddie.
0: Between Darwin and Cove. I first heard you when my uncle was listening to you one day, one morning, that he mentioned your name, that you... You was a bloke who would talk all this and that and that. And I was thinking that one day, one time I heard you. This was back in the 80s. And I thought, oh, one day I'll give him a call. And, and every Sunday I've been getting up and listening to you. I get up in the morning, I go fishing, is it? I say, today I'm going to go down, and night, night's calm, and we didn't have any rain, and it's still waiting for our rain to come down. I'd like to just say hello.
1: That Eddie, it's po- n- nice that you finally rang. You're a bit dry there in Managreta?
0: It's dry, but the fishing's good, yeah.
1: Now, um, Eddie, tell me this. What do you catch up there uh, when you go fishing? Oh, Apart from I crocodiles, mean, do you ever catch a croc?
0: Well, when I go down the Beach here, there's a croc down there, but uh, <laughs> he, we, after many years that I've been going down, he comes and there a lot too many Away and I've been feeding him. He's, he's okay. He's a friend of mine anyway. Oh, something right. like that. Yeah, he comes. Yeah. How big's he? He'll be about four, four meters. Oh. When I go to work every morning, these birds here they wake me up. I the sound. I can hear him i got these big trees here behind my house here and they're my alarm clock. Every time I get up, about 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock, they wake me up.
1: I can just dream and think about what it looks like where you are this morning, Eddie. We should all be there, mate.
0: Next time you come to Down, I'll come up and say hello to you there.
1: Love love that, Eddie.
0: Shut on you, mate. Eddie Mason, Just look it up there. um, Protect the lens and you'll find who I am. Thank you, mate. Well,
2: you ain't got a cracker. They
0: tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land and they call it... Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca.
1: Get on with it, Macca. I will. Good morning. Welcome to the program. How are you? Wherever you are, uh, many of us are locked down. I think it's 10 million, is it? Victoria's locked down and much of Sydney's locked down. So um, we've got some little things to amuse you and... uh, Amaze you this morning, wherever you are. Our number is thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two. Uh, at gmail dot com. from Rick. Rick watches our seasons with uh, great interest. The signs of moving out of winter have begun, though not apparently visible to the casual observer. Upon a closer look, the sunrises have started to become a little earlier, and the sunsets a little later each day. There appears to be a trace of lingering colour in evening dusk now. As the days start to become a little longer and moving towards spring, let's latch onto the extra light to guide us through the uplifting days that spring always delivers to us. He's talking about spring and we're still freezing. Anyway, we can look forward to spring. Let's hope. Let's hope lots of things open up. The Cootamundra wattle, the Sydney golden wattle, and the Brisbane golden wattles have started to flower, signaling this change. Wattle in July time. Yeah, my wattles are out some of them are. I've got some bottles in my garden. Christine Maloui uh, says, um, I'm usually in Melbourne, but enjoying the travel bubble to be with my family in sunny Nelson in the South Island, New Zealand. It's minus one, a heavy frost over everything that's glisteningly beautiful. And the sun is shining again today like it does on most winter days. We live as if COVID doesn't exist down here, which it doesn't at the moment. I learned so much about Australia on your program. Love it, says Christine. Christine Maloui. Thank you, Christine. Um, And Jeff says, you often complain about lack of manufacturing as we do in Australia. Well, the demise of manufacturing, I suppose, Jeff. Um, I totally agree. He says, the following is taken from an article you may wish to follow up. We are unique in the world by having all the necessary ingredients to make the ever-growing demand for batteries. But we don't. We export the raw materials and buy back the finished product. We do that with everything, don't we? Best regards, Jeff. And this is the quote. I'm not sure where it comes from. It says, Australia could add billions to its economy, create thousands of jobs and clean our energy grid by making batteries here instead of shipping the raw materials to places like China, emerging research has revealed. They say it's time to get serious about moving to a carbon-free future. This week, a groundbreaking report by Accenture PLC into the future of batteries found that Developing the ability to build and manufacture lithium lithium batteries within Australia could contribute about $7.4 billion to the nation's economy by 2030 and create nearly 30,000 jobs. There you go. Uh, that's the story. Our uh, number 1300 700 wherever you are, love to talk to you. This is Macca, g'day.
2: Yeah, g'day, Macca. Tony McLarenville, how are you going? Or well, McLaren Flat, to be precise.
1: McLaren Flat. Uh, that's in uh, Adelaide Hills, right?
2: It is, yeah, in the uh, wine-growing area there. Yep. What's happening, Mate, you Tony? cracked me up before. Oh, you cracked me up before when you were talking about um, odd things that have happened when someone passed away. And um, uh, as a, a dutiful family, we were following mum's uh, wishes, took her down to the jetty and uh, took the flowers, etc., down there and um, threw them off. And, of course, big gust of wind, so we all got covered in ashes to start with. And then, of course, uh, didn't check the tide times. Watch the flowers wash back up on the shore as we walk back in. So I think <laughs> Mum would have got a kick out of it. We certainly did. And I think we uh, all inhaled a bit of it too at the same time.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's lovely. I think she would have loved it. She'd have laughed and she would, she would oh, have. would absolutely. I, th- I thought
2: she. she yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she would have got a kick out of that.
1: That was the lady who <laughs> said she didn't know, but she hoped her ashes wouldn't stay on the top of the dresser, like on top of the cupboard for the. Uh, that something would have to be done Correct. with it. Yeah, and so she said, I'm going to go with fireworks. <laughs> 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 Launched <laughs> off into well, the that's... into the vellum vellum. Which be... <laughs> Interesting well, way. It doesn't
2: matter how you go. We're all going. So, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> How's
1: things in McLaren <laughs> flat, Tony?
2: Beautiful, mate. I'm just watching the sun come up. The birds are all cackling. I've got a juvenile gum tree, you know, about 40 years old, full of uh, galahs about to make a racket, I reckon. Yeah. What do you? um, Yeah, yeah. it's nice. What do you do? Um, Semi-retired. I've been in the building game and I've been in the vineyard game a bit. A bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah, jack of all master and none. I suppose that's (laughs) what they call them back in the day.
1: Oh, that's good. That's good. I think that's excellent.
2: All right. Well, nice to talk to you, mate. Um, Thanks for yeah. Thanks for talking, mega. I um, first listened to you a long time ago. With uh, my dad was an avid listener, and I've been listening ever since. Thanks very much.
1: Good on you, mate. Pleasure. Cheers. Bye. what was I going to say in a little while? Um, I had this letter the other day from Joe, is it Joe Ungera? Well, I'll just read the first bit. Hello Ian, last time I wrote to you we were living on a houseboat at Serena Breach, central Queensland. You know, I was just thinking when I drove in and we had a call from a bloke who was on a yacht, although he's, he was just in Morton Bay, um, and I thought, wouldn't it be great, I think, to have your own yacht or something, sailing vessel, and just be sailing around the coast of Australia, you'd be off the mainland, I'm sure you could eat fish, that was what the, the lady said the other day, didn't she Carl? she said uh, we eat a lot of fish, um, and have your supplies and, and a few books and bits and pieces, and you wouldn't have to be part of any of the things going on on the mainland here in Australia, and um, you could nestle in a little bay, couldn't you, and just uh, ride out the winter and ride out the summer, and... I think it'd be nice. You'd have to be used to it, but after a while you would get used to it and people live on their yachts and whatever. Anyway, Joe says, Last time I wrote to you we were living on a houseboat at Serena Beach, central Queensland. After five years we decided to relocate to our claims at Rubyvale in search of sapphires. Been here for four years now. The life out here is so casual, the bird life endless, and we have our favourites. The gentle, beautiful, pale-head parrots are a contrast to their noisy, bossy cousins, the rainbow lorikeets, but how could you not love them also? The sulphur crested and crows get a bit of grating, but they are part of our lives. We just swapped our houseboat for a forty foot motorhome. I decided that having it was something I didn't expect, so we we left the central gem fields to head to Victoria catching up with friends in two thousand and nineteen. But they're on the Kel, they're on the on the gem fields looking for sapphires. They'd be hard to find. Uh, sapphire's which is the most sapphire sounds expensive, doesn't it? But anyway. Uh, we'll talk to you. G'day, this is Good
3: G'day, Macker. It's uh, Sally Davis speaking. How are you going? Good, thanks, Sally. I'm very happy to speak to you. I've been listening to you since I was a child.
1: Uh, well, that's very nice, Sally. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> and- now,
3: um, I'm part of the um, Merino Sheep Stud Community, mm-hmm. and um, I would like to donate lucerne and straw and hay to my fellow friends uh, because I understand that at the the last moment...
1: Yeah, the sheep and wool show has been cancelled in many That's correct, and And we
3: have been going to that for many, many years. Um, Unfortunately, this year we couldn't make it.
1: And last year Um, it was cancelled too, wasn't it?
3: That's that's, that's absolutely correct, yes. Mm. Uh, I would like to donate um, fodder for my fellow friends.
1: All right. Well, if they ring us, people ring us, or somebody will ring us, and we've got your number. Have we, Sal?
3: Um.
1: Yeah, you would. Yeah, I, I can just
3: give it to you if you'd like.
1: Uh, well, if you like, oh, Kel, have you got Sally's number, yeah, yeah, we have. We've got your number. Yep. So, if people that's want to fine. ring us, they can. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll give them a the number, Sally. And that's very yes. kind of you. Where are you, Sally?
3: Now we're in Lake Bolac.
1: Is there water um, in the lake? We-
3: Oh, my word. Um, And she's overflowing. Because
1: I'll tell you, last time we were at Lake Bolak, you could walk across Lake Bolak, couldn't you, Kel?
3: We had a bonfire in there one night during a drought.
1: Isn't it amazing how the seasons change, eh? How the seasons change. That's correct and you've yes. had, you've had a fair bit of rain, obviously this season's it been a little bit
3: yes, um I still speak in inches and mm. points, um so I'm imagining that's probably um over four or five inches, so it's just terrific, and I promised myself in um, in the drought in two thousand and six that I would never ever say anything bad about rain. <laughs>
1: Well, no, you can't. But look, look, see, look what's happened in Europe over the last, you know, whatever week or so. They've been just inundated and washed away. But it was ever thus, I think. It was ever thus. So either too much or not enough. Uh, that's what we're usually talking about, isn't
3: it? Oh, well, we are farmers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well Sally that's very nice of you to donate fodder no, and loose and stuff. No it's
3: not nice it's actually just exactly what needs to be done because yep. I I have such great respect for the people that breed the merinos um and uh all, all sorts of sheep as well. Um I have such respect for them that um it's, it's the least I can do.
1: And it was supposed to be on what this weekend was it?
3: That's correct yeah, yeah. and we normally go for the 5 days.
1: Yeah. And uh, mm. I've been I've been uh, quite a couple of times. I remember I took my mum there, and she bought a a spinning wheel uh, years ago. That's twenty years ago. Oh yes. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, I often buy bits and pieces, a scarf or something. I think uh, what's his name, Kel, Cade, Facet, or um, he he was there one year, I think. Um, you know that international um, who bloke who does all this lovely stuff with fine wool and makes scarves and beautiful things and. I bought a scarf for my mum um oh. from is it Cade Facet is that his name yeah um, um,
3: not exactly sure, but um, I was—I um, had the um, luxury of going to China and going through all the woolen mills in 2004, seeing how our wool is actually developed mm. um, and processed.
1: Lovely stuff, so, Wool. It's lovely oh, stuff. I love sheep. A lot oh, of people I don't think... like sheep and they say they're stupid. I like sheep. I think they're nice.
3: I love sheep. Yeah. Good
1: on you, Sal. Lovely to talk to you. Good on you.
3: Oh, all right. Thanks, Maka.
1: That's a pleasure. G'day, this is Maka. G'day, Maka. It's Jason calling in from Orange, New South Wales. Hi, Jase. What's happening, mate? Oh, it's pretty windy and cold and
4: and rainy here, but I've only been in Orange for for four days. I've just uh, relocated back from the United States and done my two weeks quarantine and uh, headed up to Orange, which we'll call home.
1: (laughs) What what were you doing? Whereabouts in the US?
4: Uh, I had two years in Nevada uh, and two years in Denver, Colorado.
1: Mm -hmm. And what were you doing?
4: I, I'm in mining. I'm a mining engineer by profession, but um, a manager in one of the large mining companies, and uh, I've moved over to start up with a, a, an Australian mining company here in uh, in Orange.
1: I suppose it's good to be back in Australia. Was it hard to get back, or did you just decide it, to come back? And... Yeah, it,
4: it, it was difficult. My wife and son are still in the US. We're still packing the house up and getting our dog ready to relocate back, so I, I came back early to take the role up um, here in Orange, but... Uh, you know, there was only 25 people on my flight across from San Francisco to Sydney and then uh, you know, the two weeks quarantine in Sydney and it's, it's even more difficult now. I landed the day before the new caps were announced so it's, uh, it's become even even more difficult for those people who want to return home.
1: It, how's, how do they make money on flights like that? Was it expensive to fly? Were you, did you pay a lot of money?
4: It, it, it It was a bit more than you would normally pay, but a lot of the airlines are you know because there are only twenty five people on the flight there's less bags, so therefore they can put more cargo on but it still beats me how you know a little bit more cargo can really make up the cost of you know a fourteen and a half hour flight on some of those planes you know it's It's about ten thousand dollars an hour to keep one of those those commercial airliners in the air, so mm. that's not a cheap flight
1: no, and what do you do what's your job in in the engine um, the mining industry uh Jace?
4: I'm, I'm one of the managers or will be one of the managers at the, um, at the Cadia mine here in, in Orange looking after technology and innovation. Um, but, uh, you know, engineering's my, my background, but it's integrating technology and innovation into mining.
1: Yeah, and, and that's a gold mine, is it? It is, yes. It's a, a large underground gold mine. I'm always interested in the price of gold because we used to do lots of programs in Kalgoorlie and Boulder and Coolgardie. And when I say lots, we've been there four or five times doing programs out there, and we're always interested in the price of gold. But this is... This was in the nineties. Is it still up there? The price of gold? It is. It is. I, I must admit, I, I haven't looked. I don't always look. I don't let the price of gold, <laughs> you know, affect what we
4: do. But I do look every now and then. I think the last time I looked, it was uh, it was seventeen hundred. I'm not. That was US. I'm not too sure what it is in Aussie dollars. I imagine it's it's above the two thousand mark. But yeah, it has been quite good of late.
1: And what's it like to be back in Australia? Um, you know, where did you live before you left? Were you from Orange?
4: No, no, we left from Perth. Uh, I was with a mining company over there. So we, we left Western Australia to move to Nevada and then obviously Denver. I think I was, I was most worried about having to drive on the left-hand side of the road, but that came back to me pretty quickly when <laughs> I had to navigate my way out of Sydney uh, to Orange. Luckily, with lockdown, the roads were quite quiet. But uh, I think the smell... The smell was the first thing that I realised I was home, the smell of the gum trees and the, there was people burning off out to the west of Sydney and just that smell, it's, it's completely different. And then I heard the magpies and the kookaburras and, and I knew I was home.
1: Isn't it a lovely place, Australia? I mean, you know, I appreciate it very much and I think everybody does. You don't have to go overseas to appreciate it, I don't think.
4: No, it, it certainly does make you appreciate it more. You know, Denver, Colorado is a very, very pretty place. You know, you're right in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains and you know, they're covered in snow just about the whole year round, and it, it, it's a very, very pretty place, but it's it's different to, to Australia. It's it's completely different and just doesn't have the smells. That's the thing I I, <laughs> I noticed.
1: That's what the, the sailors used to say, you know, in the 1800s or seventeen, eighteen hundreds, 1800s, and they'd sail towards Australia, uh, particularly in the Indian Ocean, and they, they said they could smell the country, you know, miles offshore. They could smell Australia.
4: Yep. You could smell it before you see it. Yeah, it's just that, that unique smell. So that was it. Um, you know, of course, there was the dead kangaroos on the side of the road, whereas in the US it's, it's deer and, and pronghorn antelope and those sort of things. But it's, um, it was definitely the smell um, and the sounds of, of the birds that made me realise I was home. And the drive through the Blue Mountains was beautiful. <laughs>
1: Alright, Jace. Well good luck with your new gig and uh, good luck with getting the wife and the and the kids back. Um Yeah. And you'll be yeah, she'll be an Aussie before you can turn around, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Thanks for that, macker. It's a pleasure, mate. Nice to talk to you. Good this is Macca.
5: Yeah, good day, it's Jeff Payne. Good day, Jeff. Yeah, mate, I just thought I'd give you a ring. I've been in a couple of days since I last um listened in on your programme and I thought I'd just give you a call and see what's happening. <laughs>
1: That's good. Will you tell me what's happening? What are you What are you doing? You're in Gilgandra, are you?
5: Uh, no, west of Gilgandra, heading out towards Broken Hill. I'm delivering a truck out to um, Adelaide.
1: All right. Is the truck on the back of your truck or are you driving the truck?
5: No, no. I'm looking at the dotted line. I'm driving it.
1: All right. There you go.
5: With, yeah. with hands free, I might add.
1: Uh huh. So, you, um, is this what you do all the time, Jeff? Deliver trucks?
5: No, it's a bit of a new gig for me. Um, I've been off and on truck driving most of my life sort of thing. I've done a variety of things. I used to work for Telstra with all the phones um, for the cockies back in the 80s, and that's when I first started listening to you in North Queensland. There you so, go.
1: Yeah, and that's good? You, The change has been good?
5: Oh, mate, change is always good. Obviously, as long as it's not too sudden and all the rest of it, I think, yeah, you've just got to get used to it as it goes along. <laughs>
1: yeah. Have you had much experience? You can find your way around the place. It's pretty easy, isn't it, on the main highways?
5: Oh yeah, it's pretty easy. I find Google um, is a bit of a help, and can be a very big hindrance at times as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and where's home for you, Jeff?
5: Oh, I live in a little place called Helidon, just below, down below the Jumbur Range.
1: Uh huh. Helidon in Queensland. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and you're you're a what's called a um, essential worker, well, so you can drive and do all that sort of yeah. stuff.
5: Yeah, I'm an essential worker. I'm delivering a truck over to um, Adelaide, South Australia, so I've gone through all the right protocols and, uh, with the COVID and everything like that, and I've got clearance to travel and hopefully nothing dramatic will change and lockdown too much that'll change the itinerary.
1: Yeah, so, and what do you do when you, you um, I mean, because the people have been travelling and removalists have been travelling and doing the wrong thing and stuff like that. You, um, do you steer clear of truck stops or what do you do?
5: I do minimal stops. If I do, I um, I pull up and have a feed or whatever, um, always use my mask and all the rest of it, do sanitising on the hands, etc., to try and keep the effects a minimal sort of effect. Yeah. yeah, It's it's all you can really do. Follow the guidelines and, um, yeah, what else can you do? Wait and see.
1: Well, I think lots of people, you know, you think about the life of a truck driver, and it's, you know, in some ways you're your own boss, and you're out there. But especially at this time now, when most of us, uh, certainly in New South Wales and or Sydney and Victoria, are locked down, oh, to be a truck driver and to be sailing the sailing the roads, mate.
5: Oh, look, I do enjoy this lifestyle. It's it great. I say I've been in and in and out of trucks for years, sort of doing different things, but um, this is one I have enjoyed. But, yeah, I feel sorry for those people. As I say, I've got a couple of acres where I live on and, yeah, I can roam around. I don't have to stay in my little house or an apartment or something cooped up like a chicken sort of thing. So I still have plenty to do on my block of dirt when I'm not working.
1: Yes, exactly. It must be very hard for people in the cities who are living in high-rise and in lifts and stuff like that because, you know, if lifts are usually got a, a a minimum or maximum people you can have in a lift and if you've got a, you know, you You'd have to wait and wait and wait, I reckon, to get down if you were going to go outside to walk around or something like that. So you'd it'd have its uh, have its problems. So there's no good complaining about that. But um, people are other people are doing it a lot tougher than than we oh, are. Oh yeah, Jeff. look,
5: yeah, no, look, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my life I, at present. Uh, there's a lot of people worse off than me, sort of thing. But yeah, so you chuck all your troubles in the in the middle with everybody else. It's like you would send race back in and grab yours.
1: Yeah, and a lot of – you're delivering this – what sort of truck is it, uh, Jeff?
5: Uh, It's a Max Uberliner. Uh
1: Uh-huh. And there's a lot of trucks on the road. I suppose a lot of people are going from shopping to getting things delivered. I know there are usually only vans, but they've got to go from somewhere. So a lot of trucks on the road now.
5: Uh, Yeah, I've I've seen quite a few trucks. The rest of the um, smaller vehicles seem to have been less in numbers, I suppose, but um, like I said, I went up north a couple of, a couple of weeks back, and you know, like I said, the amount of caravans on the road—I was past them every couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> so.
1: And they're probably from down south, um, and they oh, won't. Oh, and, well, and, I
5: comment on that one, Magga.
1: <laughs> and they probably won't come, be going home anytime soon. You wouldn't think so, would you?
5: Well, well who knows, Magga? Like I you said, you know, you've, you've got to face life as it, take it as it comes, sort of thing, you know.
1: Yeah exactly uh, And don't, yeah. Let it, don't let it bother you uh, You've just got to keep smiling Jeff
5: Yeah yeah Oh, yeah. You've got to keep smiling I say it Makes the rest of the world wonder what you've been up to <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good on you Jeff Great to talk to you mate Thanks for your call Keep in touch No
5: worries mate Talk to you later bye
6: Hello Macca I'm just wanting to send my very best wishes And, and hopes down to the people of Victoria They've had it so hard this year and I think we are all Australians, and none of us can be smug. This virus is, not, is our enemy, not each other.
1: Exactly. Exactly. What's it's, your name?
6: My name is Glennis.
1: And where are you, Glennis?
6: I'm in Castle Hill in New South Wales.
1: Uh huh. Yep. Good. Yeah. Well, I and think... I'm
6: alone. And I just think of all the people down in Victoria that have had so much of this, and I just think. We we just want to care for one another, like we're all cousins. I think this state's bickering is ridiculous. What you
1: got to do, Glennis, is look after yourself, That's, and look after those around you if you can. And,
6: and and put out your hand, not your hand, but send out love to other people, not not hate or or bickering.
1: Well spoken, Glennis. Nice to talk to you.
7: And you too. Bye, Macca. Go, Thanks bye.
1: a lot. 1300 700 000, 000, that's the number. Jeff in Kuma. Good morning,
7: Jeff. Good morning, Ian. Nice to hear your program, as usual. Uh, had some contributions for you. One's about the snow. One's about uh, discovery or the intelligence of the natives, actually, as found by La Perouse yep. uh, when he visited this, this area. It's quite interesting.
1: All right, tell me, tell us about the snow. Give us a snow report first. You get, you get... okay.
7: Well, the snow is great. I mean, it's, it's falling about two hundred millimeters deep every day, two to three hundred. So it's building up greatly, and uh, uh, plenty of room there, of course, because the, the lines of traffic coming into Kuma now are only a fraction of what they used to be because uh-huh. of this lockdown. Yeah. Uh, so,
1: so would businesses in Kuma be struggling? I
7: suppose would they? Um, uh, not so much in Cooma, we're not, uh, well, because the, the, what Cooma collects from the travellers is uh, accommodation, and that fills up, there's so many travellers, that fills up anyway at a lower level, a mm. lower, yeah, well, there, there is a, there is an effect, and of course, the, they stop for coffee as soon as they can get a parking area, so it's not as severe as, say, Jindabyne and those, and the mountains where it's really bad, the, you know, the big volumes of accommodation and so on, mm. but, uh. Yeah, that's the situation here, I think.
1: Yeah. And what did, um, what about, uh, yeah, I've noticed I've looked on my iPhone for snow and there seems to be snow every day down there, which is, I suppose, great.
7: Yes. It's quite good, yeah. Yeah, I have, Yeah, some of my staff have to go up there and do things, uh, you know, keep things working. Engineers are needed everywhere. Exactly. Actually have a contract to inspect and maintain 80 bridges in the Snowy Manero area. I mean, that's an essential service too. So we come to work every day. uh,
1: And I suppose... obeying all the
7: rules, of course.
1: And I suppose, yeah, of course. And I suppose if you get too much snow, bridges, uh, yeah, fall under the weight or fail under the weight, I suppose, or can do. Uh, It
7: it can happen. Snow is very heavy, as we've talked about it before. I mean, if you go up into the mountain area there, uh, like a a car garage is... Designed for five kpa, and uh, uh, the snow say in in parachute in those areas, trebuch can go up to twelve kpa, which is two and a half times the weight of the cars you put in a garage, and that'll What's, wreck roofs to, and floors and everything. Tell people what a kpa is. Oh, kpa one kpa is the weight of a heavy man. Right. So uh, standing on a square metre. Uh-huh. So in a, in a car garage, five heavy man, men standing on one square metre would be the design loading. Uh, uh, the buildings up in, in the mountains, you'd have 12 heavy men standing on one square metre <laughs> as, the, as the loading. So that gives you an idea. Yeah. quite yeah. heavy. Now La
1: Perouse, I've always been. He disappeared, didn't he? Just like um, he did. Just, he did. It's just, very
7: interesting. Just like my um, wife Helen. Bass. My wife Helen turned eighty-one yesterday. We had a little party in Canberra, and she's got dementia, but it went went very well. And uh, but her father bought it as a bank manager's sale back in the fifties, and one volume of La Perouse's voyage to this area. He paid twenty uh, cents, fifty cents for it, I think. Uh, but anyway, the book's fascinating because the the manuscripts were handed over to Philip. Philip found La Perouse in Botany Bay when he arrived, and La Perouse said, please take these manuscripts back to France. And it was wow. printed into books, and the ones that I the ones I have are English, spread in English, old English, because it's really different. And uh, the forward in the book, which was dated about 1797 or something, it it said uh, La Perouse hasn't returned yet and we don't know where he is. And of course, he never came back. But uh, one of the chapters in the book is where the three captains said to La Perouse, we need fresh water. And they were off an island, so La Perouse agreed they send the longboats into the island. They did, and they got their fresh water, but the tide went out and the longboats were grounded. They couldn't get off. So the ladies got restless and started to throw stones and all sorts of things at the sailors. The sailors started to fire back with muskets to keep them at bay and the tide came back in and the longboats went back out to the ships and the natives followed in their canoes and they stayed one muskets range away from the ships. So in that short encounter the natives had worked out what a musket was and what its range was. So La Perouse said to the captains, load up a cannon and fire a shot over their heads, which they did and brought up the water behind the canoes and the canoes shot back to the island in both days. So, <laughs> To me, that's a great in, uh, example of the intelligence of the, those people.
1: I'd love to. I'd love to read that La Perouse disappeared. I'd love to read his his journal. And and George Bass, yeah. of course, he disappeared too. He went. Yeah. He yeah. sailed back to England and that was never heard of again. Yeah. Fascinating thing. Yeah. I'll hope to see yeah. you, Jeff, in yeah. Coomera. I'd love to come to. I love Coomera. I'd love to do a program in Coomera. I've said that to you before when I was down yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But it's but it's um,
7: really booming. Coomera's booming now. I mean, yeah, there's certainly a lot of people in trouble that you know, need money from snow people, but uh, there's a lot of other people around as well, and uh, it's not that bad. I'd, I might get pillared for something. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: well, everybody's got, a, everybody's got a point of view, Jeff. But, look, nice yeah. to talk to you, mate, and, um, yeah, hope to see you soon when uh, all these lockdowns finish, hopefully. Yeah,
7: I'll, I'll bring the book along for you when we meet up anyway.
1: Good on you, mate. Nice to talk to you. Uh, thanks, Ian. Well, as I said earlier this morning, I was thinking about... Life on the ocean waves, or just sailing around Australia somewhere in a little bay, you could sort of stay there for you know, months, couldn't you? Catch a few fish now and again, and you have little bits and pieces on board and to eat, you know, make yourself some bread or something like that, and away you go. They have those little windmills on board to get a bit of uh, energy. Um, I think it'd be lovely. You'd have to be used to it, but once you did. G'day, this is Maka.
8: G'day, Maka, this is Michelle. Hi, Michelle. And I've also got Mick here. We've just pulled over in Morven. We're on our way. We're three days into a trip, uh, travelling from Mount Isa to Brisbane.
1: Wow! How come, Michelle?
8: Um, yeah, I'm in the police, uh, transferring out of Mount Isa. Been there six years, so haven't been to the city for a while. So I think this is my 28th year return.
1: <laughs> yeah, this will, well, it'll be a, yeah, an all new experience for you, uh, Michelle.
8: Yeah, so we're relocating with two cattle dogs and we've had some great smells coming from the back seat, so one, one overweight uh, blue cattle dog and a uh, skinny red.
1: <laughs> well, well, yes, something's got to happen, but this is an epiphany for you, uh, Michelle, I'd say, um, and did you, did you enjoy your time in the Isa?
8: I certainly did. This was my second time back, so I did it um, uh, 97 to 2001, so when it was with uh, uh, MIM, so the town's really good and the the people are great out there.
1: Yeah, well, you'll have a completely different job, I suppose. Completely different uh, policing in Mount Isa to Brisbane, I'd
8: say. Yes, I'm going into the training side, so I'm hoping to promote and get
1: more people out into the rural areas. And is that a problem to get uh, police to go out to rural areas? I mean, I know at one time when you were a teacher, you 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 went to teachers' college or whatever you did, and after you finished teachers' college, um, you were usually sent to somewhere. They said, "Okay, you're going to Morven, or you're going to wherever Mount Isa, or you're going to Brisbane, or whatever." Um, now that doesn't happen. And I suppose it's the same in the police force. At one time you were sent to wherever, Tamworth or wherever. And now I, I guess you get to pick and choose and say, no, I don't want to go there because of family reasons or something. Is that how it happens in, in the police force, Michelle?
8: Yeah, you get a choice. But I think most times um when people come out to the country areas, they're more surprised than, um, yeah, it's an eye-opener and reference for them. So I think it's people getting out of their um, normal bubble and just um, changing things up and going out. So, yeah, it's a good
1: change. So how's things on the road? You're in Morvan. You've driven from Mount Isa.
8: Yeah, we're passing plenty of grey nomads and plenty of uh, road trains. So uh, people are generally pretty friendly and giving us a wave.
1: Yeah, and, and they'll be up there. And I was just saying earlier this morning, I wouldn't – if I was from down south, which many of them would be, um, you know, south of the border of New South Wales and down even further, I wouldn't be wanting to get home anytime soon. So I don't know if there's a time limit. I don't think I don't think there would be, but it'd be nice to, um, yeah, just stay up there. I think for a good while. That's what I'd be doing if I could.
8: The only thing that we've struck is we left Mount Isa. She was 33 degrees overnight in Tambo. She, uh, I think, got down to about two, so I didn't bring enough thermals.
1: (laughs) So you'll be heading for, what, what, for Roma and St George now, will you? Or you just go straight across through Miles and down to Toowoomba and into Brisbane?
8: Yeah, we're looking at um, Miles and Toowoomba, but we don't think we'll... (laughs) We don't know how we're going to go on the camp trailer in Toowoomba overnight, so we might have to find somewhere warmer.
1: <laughs> well, we, yeah, exactly. It can be cool in Toowoomba. It can be very cool in Toowoomba.
8: That's it. No, we'll, we'll enjoy the change anyway.
1: Yeah, all right. Well, Michelle and Mick, uh, good luck, and good luck with your relocation, and um, I'm sure it'll go great, and hopefully we'll see you in Brisbane sometime when we uh, get to cross the border again. The border's are close <laughs> Always oh, seems to be closed, doesn't? It? Somewhere you can't go anywhere in Australia, really. Whereas, we're we're a, we're a nation of states, if you know, a, a nation state.
9: There's plenty of space out here, Macca, for people. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, Mick, what do you do?
9: Uh, I worked in the power industry out there, Macca. Originally, I'm a Tully boy. I was in the sugar industry up there for twenty uh, odd years, and then when I moved with Michelle, I uh, worked in the power industry out at Mount Isa, but. Unfortunately they closed our power station, which is Micah Creek Power Station. Uh-huh. And uh I've been in the trade fitter and turner by trade, been in the trade thirty odd years. So um sort of just in the stage of uh maybe a little career change, Ian. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, just going through I've just listened to your show before and one of the guys had a detached retina. Well I had the same thing myself about three or four months ago and uh yeah, just got myself right, got over that and um now with Michelle's move I'll look at picking up a different maybe a different career or something down in the city, you know.
1: Yeah, I was I was just thinking cuz it's been where I live it's been yep. cold. It's been cold. It's been like a winter like I had used to have when I used, used to go to high school because um, I remember I used to wear long. I remember my mum lent me a pair of long because I said, I'm cold, mum. Um, <laughs> and and I don't know, I was about 14 or 15, and she lent me a pair of long, long johns, which I wore to school. Um, and I was just thinking this winter we're having where I live in Sydney uh, has been much colder than than normal, and I was just thinking of all the power that people because for the first time, I've I've put a heater on. I never usually use an electric heater in winter. I just you know put a yep. jumper on. But it's been stinko, and the house is like a bloody icebox. Pardon my French. So um, um, yeah, and I think well everybody be doing the same thing. I went to, when I bought this heater. I went to um, you know uh, Jerry Harvey's place, and <laughs> and I bought and I bought the last one. I bought. Those. He said, "Oh, this is the last one, the last heater that they had there." Um, so yep, I, yep. I, I reckon there would be a big drain on the on the power sources around the place.
9: For sure. And as we were coming down this morning, and we left from our uh, Tambo and we've gone down through Orgathella, which is the Downs country, uh, just looking at the thermometer on the car, we're actually in a Holden, Colorado, so you wouldn't be much more Australian than that. Uh, it was one degree, and as we're sitting here at uh, Morven, it's two degrees, so it is quite fresh, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, nice cup of tea or a cup of coffee, he'll do you well. Good on you, Mick. That's, Great to talk yeah. to you. And as I said to Michelle, I'd love to see you in Brisbane when we can cross the border. It's only for... for, sure. it's only
9: for it. So that, you have a station somewhere, we'll definitely come and... Uh, Shake hands and say good day because I've grown up with you, Joe. And uh, to us country people, you're probably bigger than as big as ACDC, mate. Yeah, you know?
1: of course. And and it's only footballers that can cross the border at the moment. But um, <laughs> so I can, right. me, I can put on I can put on my footy boots. I might get across. Yeah. Anyway.
9: Uh, you're, you're always welcome. <laughs> <off. laughs> always footballers, low and
1: hard, mate. <laughs> good yeah. on you, Mick, and good on you, Michelle. Good luck.
9: See you yeah. later. Take care, Macca. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's yeah. right. <laughs>
1: Isn't that nice? Aren't they nice? Does your heart good? Wasn't Mick good value and Michelle lovely? G'day, this is Macca. Oh Good morning, Ian. it's Richard
10: Ferguson calling from lockdown in Melbourne. How are you?
1: Oh, G'day, Richard. Yes, good. I was meant to talk to you when I was away last week, but um, uh, Warwick did the job. Um, but uh, we were talking, and we've been talking about Captain Cook the- this morning and uh, the commemorations. And Cook's about to leave, or he's le- he's- Is he left yet? <laughs> Oh, it depends
10: on which part of his amazing three voyages you're, you're looking at. There's a landmark date for most things. So, uh, so what, what I was very interested in this morning earlier, you were talking about um, Dr. Philip Law. Um, yeah. And uh, when when I was working at the Mawson Institute for Antarctic Research back in the 80s and 90s, um, Phil Law was a mentor to me. Um, and, and I just thought it'd be interesting to link together Phil Law's work in the Antarctic and your querying about Cook's uh, work in the Antarctic. And indeed, uh, Cook did go down south uh, on his second voyage in Resolution and advent- Adventure uh, between uh, 1772 and 1775. So, you know, people have been drawn to the southern continent, either in mythology or, or, or fact, for a long time. And uh, it's, it's an amazing place. and. Uh, You know, Cook uh, was looking at things that he'd never seen before. Um, He'd worked in the high north um, up around uh, the St Lawrence Seaway and he'd seen ice, but he hadn't seen the sort of ice that uh, he experienced down south in the Antarctic.
1: No, and I remember reading, I forget the name of the book, um, but uh, I remember reading about him sailing down there and they were going further and further uh, down and the crew was getting really... um, edgy as you would because they wouldn't have seen it either they're just simple sailors and all of a sudden there's ice on the rigging and all that sort of stuff and he kept going and he kept going and then all of a sudden he realized that you know, there's no future here and so they turned around what an amazing thing in a sailing boat Richard what an amazing what an amazing adventurer
10: and, and there were still people doing that in the uh, early 1900s. Uh, Shackleton, Mawson, Scott uh, used um, predominantly wind-powered vessels with auxiliary engines. I mean, Cook got down uh, below the Antarctic Circle on the 17th of January in 1773. And um, I presented a paper on this to the Royal Historical Society Queensland conference last year. And what was interesting in my research was that um, uh, the very well-known academic and uh, geographer, Sir Archibald Grenfell Price, in the 60s, had done some work on Cook's Antarctic voyages, and and he hypothesised, looking at the charts, looking at Cook's charts, that he actually probably did cite the mainland, although he didn't really know what he was looking at. So it's one of those things, the visual the visual language that they had at the time uh, wasn't marrying up with their knowledge so uh, or what, what they were seeing. So, uh, you know, Greenfield Price, pretty sure of... The fact that Cook would have actually cited uh, some part of the mainland, and looking at historic ice charts, um, you know that's a fairly reasonable hypothesis. But it's a it's a land even now. It's a land of uh, superlatives and and uh, contrasts. And mm. uh, when you look at the landscape, it, it's very disconcerting because the points of reference aren't there. And whether you're at sea or on ice, it's uh, very, very unsettling in a way.
1: Yeah, I I remember talking to Sir Philip Law. We were in Hobart. I don't know, twenty years ago, which is in the nineties sometime. And he was there was a dinner on. You might have been at that dinner, but uh, and he also came along on the Sunday morning to talk to us. We were down on the uh, down at the uh, wharf down there in in Hobart. And uh, I remember he said to me, you know, he climbed this mountain there. He was down there. And it might have been even Mount Erebus. I'm not sure what he was climbing up. But he climbed to the top of this, you know, rise, a hill or a mountain of sorts. And he said, I was the first person to ever do that. I was the first person to ever be there. Nobody else had ever done that before. And this might have been, you know, 60, 70 years ago um, because not many people had been down there. And so he said he uh, he had that sort of feeling that he was the first in the world to ever have done, first human to have ever done that. Um, and he was a pretty amazing uh, bloke wasn't he, Phil Law?
10: Well, Phil Phil was leader of the Australian Antarctic Program for probably about seventeen years. He was director of uh, the Australian Ant what's now known as the Australian Antarctic Division. It wouldn't have been Erebus because uh, he would have been in the, the Australian Antarctic Territory, but. Um, he did something like 17 uh, voyages down south, um, but never overwintered. And uh, as, you, as you reflected earlier this morning, uh, he, he, he got seasick. But he was a tenacious and uh, passionate uh, advocate for our Antarctic Science Program, which still continues to this day. Uh, and Australians have been responsible uh, for exploring uh, many, many hundreds and thousands of kilometers or square kilometres of, Ant- of the Australian Antarctic Territory.
1: Yeah. Now, how are you enjoying lockdown? I I um, proffered this morning that Melburnians certainly um, would be much more used to being locked down and would take it, you know, I'm not saying with a grain of salt, but would be used to it. Whereas I, I think in Sydney, they're not used to it. And there's a bit of argy bargy, if you know what I mean.
10: Uh, well, it's interesting. Lockdown is a word, but the experience of what that means uh, in different cities and different countries is, is very, very varied. And I think that's what's being noticed. Some of the decisions made by <clears throat> the authorities in New South Wales um, have, have been found to be, um, you know, needing to be sharpened up a bit. Um, in, in This is lockdown version four here in uh, marvellous Melbourne and, and Victoria. And it's tough. It's tough for everybody. And one of the difficulties is that, uh, you know, there's a lovely little, I um, uh, saw something on so- anti-social media going, um, you know, we're, we're all in the, uh, we, we, we might might be, um, we're not all in the same boat, but we're all in the same storm. And I think we need to remember that because it does impact everybody differently. And uh, it's tough, And uh, but we've got to get through this. And uh, it's like being on expedition or being at sea. You, you've just got to hunker down and um, keep, Keep looking at that horizon and keep being positive. And as you were saying earlier, you know, keep an eye out for each other and um, go for a walk, connect with nature, and um, you know, see see what's ahead.
1: Yeah, because it'll this COVID will divide you, and that's what the thing I've, I've seen that people are divided. You know, politicians and states and and individuals. You know, everybody's got an idea of what's best. And look, I don't know what you do that about that. You just get on with your own life, try and do the right thing make your own decisions, but look after yourself and look after your family, Richard. Good on you, mate. Nice to talk to you.
10: Thank you. And as as you know, we are a nation of principalities first and a country
1: second. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> Thanks, Anne. Do do the good work. Thank you. Look, we've had lovely calls this morning from all over the place, Pitwater and Fremantle and Wattle Grove. I wonder if uh, Karen's still in the van in the driveway, Kil. Wherever you are... Stay tuned on ABC Local Radio. Love your letters.